Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mestagi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. My name is Chloe Mizdagi, and welcome to another episode of Secure Your Strategy, the podcast brought to you by ITSP Magazine. And with me today, I have a fabulous person, Ian Hill, and who gave the keynote over at InfoSec Europe this year. Ian, why don't you tell the lovely people about yourself? Thank you very much, Chloe. Um, my name is Ian Hill. Um, I am the Director of Information Cybersecurity at a company called Up Corporation who are a large regional broadband fibre to the premises company within the United Kingdom. Um, I've been there for about a year now, and uh, I've been in the cyber and information security world for way too long, uh, over a quarter of a century now. And that sounds really a long time when you mention it like that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've taken all the, the rough with the smooth and I'm still here, still fighting. <laughs> So you've seen some things, and I would imagine maybe when you were at InfoSec Europe, you got overwhelmed by the amount of vendors, and I don't know about you, but getting all those, like, it seems like it's getting worse every year, like, because now they will contact you excessively on LinkedIn, they will find out where you live and send you something in the mail, they will call your phone, they will do everything possible and I don't know about you, but that seems awfully terrible to deal with as someone who is a CISO. So tell us about like how was the scene when you were there? I, it was it was good fun. It was it was great to see Infosec really sort of coming back to strength over at Excel Center. One thing I did notice actually was a lot of new vendors I had not seen there before. Um, some of the big vendors missing. I was surprised not to see the likes of Checkpoint, Fortinet, people like that. Um, but a lot of new vendors. So I, I think there's a lot of new people coming into the market, new vendors coming to the market. But you're right. I mean, it's a very vibrant scene. And, and I've learned from going to Infosec many times, don't pick up any merchandise because you have to, in order to have the merchandise, they scan your badge. And then that's just, you know, you're going to get bombarded with the emails and phone calls and text messages and things like that. So um, uh, back in the day when I was, you know, uh, maybe a, a green behind the ears techie, I'd pick up every bit of merch going, <laughs> you know, and come out with bags of it, but not now, not now. Because it's one of those areas that that I find quite frustrating uh, as a season as a CISO. And you know, when I go into a company and that, you know, I get to know the business, I get to know the risk, I get to understand the business requirements and what, products and services are needed um and i get bombarded every day literally every day phone calls emails linkedin requests from vendors trying to sell me stuff cyber bling as it's becoming known um without having any idea what my risk profile my business risk profile is I know about that, you know, uh, but it, 
it's interesting because shows like InfoSec are really great for getting out there once a year or however many times to go to different shows and seeing what's out there, seeing for yourself. You know, when I go to InfoSec, I've got an agenda in my mind. Um, I want to see some of the, the you know, meet up with uh, friends and network, go to some of the sessions, but don't also go around the vendors at my leisure, looking at where things are going, what's new, what's old, what's what's going on. And in the back of my mind, uh, if you like, uh, reconciling that with what I know I need for my business, if I need anything at all. Um, so I do find it very frustrating to have you know, people ring up. And I do appreciate, you know, these guys, you know, they're salespeople. My my son works uh, in, in vendor sales. Um, so I know what it's like, you know, they, they've got targets to meet. But I think that's something, Chloe, that potentially there are so many vendors in the marketplace now, so many products. I think there's much more competition now. So it's much harder getting the deals. I think that's what's making, you know, the sales guys sort of more aggressive and maybe slightly intrusive because they've, they've been given tough targets in yeah. what I think is becoming quite a saturated market space. You know, and I think when I, you know, go to win for a second, you see so many new vendors you've not seen before. Um, I'm thinking, no, oh, this, this is quite interesting actually, but I didn't actually see any radically new technology like or service. Over, same over. stuff. Exactly. Chloe. Exactly. Um, you know, every so often you get something that, that, that springs up and think, oh, that's interesting. Let's let's have a look at that. But you're right. Generally, it's the same stuff. Uh, so, it, you know, but I, I really enjoyed it. So it's, it's, it's a, in certainly in the UK, it's, it's the place to be. I know, you know, over in the States, you guys have RSA. And I've been to that before. And that, that's massive. <laughs> massive, indeed. I, I got the opportunity to go to InfoSec Europe. I think it was in 2018. I want to say okay. um, but I absolutely loved it I went there at the same time like was besides London so I got to go to both and I yeah. it was so much fun but yeah InfoSec Europe the vendor scene was very much like RSA conference to me in many ways but it was good it was it was a lot of fun there was like a good number of um, I would say like coffee like they'll have like these nice baristas that are like making you coffee or tea. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. Um, so I had a lot of fun there. I hope I'll go next year. But you also did give a keynote talk about the conflict between, you know, compliance and security. And I know this is a, a subject that people are, there's so many conversations about it, but basically everyone is on the same page when it comes to can we have like a framework that actually works? Can we have yeah. a compliance checklist that's actually something that I will use that will actually protect this company? Exactly. And then can you give me something where it doesn't take all my time because I don't have enough time? And I feel like that's <laughs> kind of like the biggest issues that are facing when we talk about compliance and security because yeah, everyone wants to have an incident response plan, but no one has the time to lead that charge to have something that's up to date. And so this becomes like that constant, like this thing where it's like, well, we're trying to be proactive, but we're going to always be reactive because we don't have enough time, nor people, nor resources to push us forward. Absolutely. And let's, let's be straight. Compliance is important. It's it fun, you know, compliance and standards that are fundamental to information security. But the problem I have is where compliance leads the security agenda. I started off with a very common saying, 
Compliance doesn't give you good security, but good security gives you compliance. And it's making sure that you don't fall into the security by compliance strategy. Um, and of course, you know, you've got the common standards, you know, in seven, in, uh, ISO 27001, big one, you know, um, and, and I used, you know, that ex as an example in the presentation that the difference between the two views is that a compliance or security by compliance strategy will take ISO 27001, go through all the different Annex A controls, say, right, what do we have to do to do this? What do we have to do to do that? What do we have to do? Okay. Whereas the other way around, you should have a robust security posture and strategy where you can go to 27,001 and just go, yes, 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 all the way down. And that's what I was trying to get across. Um, so it, it's it's just a different mindset, a different way of thinking. Of course, part of the problem as well is that, you know, just as you alluded to, there's no one size fits all from a, from standards and regulations and you'll often find that companies that mature companies will actually adopt a uh, re uh their own security framework which is a hybrid of two and the, uh, and after talking to many uh of my peers the two that often crop up together are nist csf and 27001 clump those two together you've sort of got most of what you need. Obviously, there's things like PCI, DSS, so if you're handling card holder payments and things like that, um, you've got to do PCI as a, as a requirement for the standard. But um, it's looking at what you need as a business. And a business is different. I've worked in uh, finance. I've worked in telecommunications. I've worked in the construction industry. And the security requirements and posture of the construction industry are very different from the finance industry not least of all, because the regulations are very different. So you start with the business, what the business does, the process, the security posture, the risks. I'm a big fan of SABSA. I mean, you guys have heard of uh, SABSA, uh, of using SABSA methodology for working out what it is I need right at the bottom level and then aligning the appropriate standards and regulations and that to that once I got to that point, rather than trying to drive a strategy based purely on something like 27,001 or over here, Cyber Essentials or something, because you're going to end up with gaps and you're, and you're going to end up with problems. Uh, and so that's primarily what, what the session was about. It really, you know, it seemed to sort of stir up some very interesting conversation. Um, and I think part of the time as well, um, because there is such a, a big drive within a lot of business to improve their security posture, they this is they're possibly new to this, um, and so they're looking for a quick way of improving posture. And things like Johnson Thunder stands for that look like a quick route in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, any time we can like shortcut through things, I think that's where we're kind of going for um loopholes are everyone's favorite thing um you did mention something that was uh quite interesting was the fact of taking in consideration the different industries you work in like here we have like the HIPAA for example the healthcare um but it always kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're sharing was I don't know how familiar you are with SASB so they do like the ESG ratings, but it's based on, it's broken down by different industries and what are the things they need to highlight and be aware of the, the future risks for them. 
And I was just thinking maybe that's something that is really more needed now than ever, because, you know, every security department is going to be different depending on the industry it works in. Like education, you're going to have other privacy things you're going to have to be more aware of versus, say, finance. And so it it makes a lot of sense. And do you see that being kind of like the road for the future when it comes to cybersecurity and, and compliance? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I just just as you were saying that, I, I was thinking that um, uh, along similar lines, something that's starting to gain traction over here in the UK, which is something that you've had in the States for a while, is SOC 2. Um, and SOC 2 is now starting to sort of get much more established over here as something that's broad enough and sort of deep enough to, to, to cover not everything but wider level of bases um, and um, again, it's something we've just done in the company I've got uh, that I work for. Um, I, I, it's a difficult one to see to predict where things are going. That's the trouble with these sort of standards. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in in, 20, in in the session was standards tend to take a long time to keep up. So I use the example twenty seven thousand one. We've got twenty twenty two version now. Previous version was twenty thirteen. Um, so in the new the new controls that are included in the 2022 version are things like data leak protection. So it's taken the ISO standard nine years <laughs> to include data leak protection in that standard. So, you know, it's... Um, we're, we're getting there eventually, right? We'll be faster hopefully one day. I mean, with AI and uh, machine learning and security, that's that's going to motivate everyone to push out new frameworks, new compliance needs. Well, again, you're absolutely right because none of it. So, you know, we've got NIST 2.0 coming out, or no, NIST whatever it's coming out, it's NIST 2, isn't it? Um, we've got, you know, none of that seems to sort of really take into consideration things like artificial intelligence uh, and the the risks that are associated with that. It's quite interesting because at Infosec, there are a lot of people talking about um uh, AI risks and from both an attack perspective and a defense perspective. Um, I think, you know, that's something that standards will try and catch up with. But I tend to think actually that there is a there is a risk of AI right at this minute, but it's not quite what we think it is. Uh, and, uh, and having talked to my peers and experience myself, um, the biggest worry I've got with artificial intelligence is like our marketing and sales departments using chat GPT to do sales and marketing material or trying to use it to do some sort of um, analytics and things. So this, you know, they're like, oh, I've got chat GPT. This is really handy. But let me throw all this company information into it and see what it comes back with. You know, um, so uh, all these big fears of, you know, um, AI attackers and, um, you know, Terminator and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, far, I'm far, far more worried about what our employees are using it for, um, thinking it's a shortcut to sort of do some of their work and not appreciating the risks of potentially sharing information, like personal information or whatever, with this thing and not knowing really what's happening to that information. It goes into this black box of complete mystery. And then we have to figure out what is this mystery like, but then we don't have time to look into the mystery nor to figure out how MLs are designed. It's great. It's like, it seems like the perfect situation for a risky situation to occur. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of security professionals now are including 
that on their risk registers, saying like, you know, what is the risk of AI? Um, and again, it will vary from business to business. Um, it's it's an emerging risk, um, as you know, you got ChatGPT four, and you got all these other new um, large uh, language model engines coming on board. Um, so, you know, not taking away from all the current risks we have to put up with. You know, I can see in the future that's going to be something that's going to have a lot of people scratching their heads. Yeah, I've already kind of seen like how different organizations in InfoSec right now are trying to figure out, okay, uh, how do we let people know about these risks and let them understand how these risks play out in, you know, in in ML worlds? Um, Because you can't, it's not always going to be traditional security that could be used on, you know, AI in general. And like seeing this scramble happening where everyone's like, oh my God, we need to do something about this like really fast. It seems like we're kind of just trying to figure it out rapidly fast while the whole world's already starting to use it and it's been pushed out and now it's just getting more and more out there. And I, I that's something that concerns me is like we need to get a little bit faster and more proactive, but I it's always a hard thing. And I don't know if you've noticed it too, but like our industry, so many people are burned out. They don't have enough time yeah. and they feel exhausted. And now they have to learn how ML are designed and to understand how those play security risks. I don't know about you, but is there any advice that you have for people or leaders that are dealing with these situations? Because it is important for us to learn, but it's always hard to get in new information when we're burned out because we're not taking it in. You know, you're absolutely right. And I've noticed that certainly in the last few years, I've been you know, at CISO level for a long time, that I am seeing, you know, I am seeing people, I am seeing burnout a lot at the CISO level and at the senior uh, cyber level because it, it's relentless, you know. Um, it's just one thing after another. You, you feel like you're being, a, you know, when you are being attacked all of the time, especially in large companies that I've worked for, um, you're just under attack all of the time. And it's like, you you, you know, the... the the arcade game whack a mole. Yes, you know, where you it's whack a mole. It is completely whack a mole. You know, you're playing whack a mole all the time. Um, I think I've I've changed my view over sort of cyber strategies over the last few years, um, and I've sort of come up with a bit of sort of a my own sort of personal framework as a CISO of how I sort of adopt things and. It's about spreading the load, you know. Back in the day, and to a lot of companies these days, still have that very much siloed mentality to cybersecurity. So you've got this team of, of cyber professionals, infosec professionals under a CISO. It's sort of a bit of a sort of dark art, and you know they 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 send out diktats about you what you can and can't do. And you can't question what they do, and you're never really sure what goes on. They spend lots of money, um, and and it's like, don't worry, we're protecting the business. And, it, and that very much siloed approach, uh, and slightly autocratic approach, for me, you know, that's out of the window. I've very much dev- evolved to a more federated security strategy. You know, we've got to a point in 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 time where 
Information security is everyone's problem and everyone's responsibility. So federate that out into the business. So I started my own sort of um, journey with this, with the companies I've worked for recently, much smaller cyber team and a much more federated responsibility of security across the entire business amongst the subject matter experts within their own functions. Um, and at the same time, look more to outsourcing to manage detection response outsource companies um, because the attack uh, because the attacks are getting so complex so sophisticated um, the threat landscape is increasing almost exponentially very few companies can afford an internal capability to meet the demands and so I've, I've noticed that there is very much more uh, sort of, if you like, a proliferation of um, MSSPs doing the full package detection response. So if you like outsourcing, it's not doesn't mean so you still don't need your cyber team internally. But, you know, by knowing that you've got a trusted partner with vast amounts of resources that, that are watching your back, you know, um, I, I put it, uh, previous company, I, I put it um, quite bluntly to a uh, to an MSSP that we we eventually took on. I said, "Look, get, I want to I want to give you the, the scenario. I want is like you ring me up at half past twelve on a Sunday morning. You've got ransomware. We've got it contained. Go back to sleep. You know, that sort of relationship with you know with an MSSP where they're they're watching your back." They've got the resources and capability. Um, so, but at the same time, you've got a, a niche little cyber team internally and a federated responsibility, make, giving ownership and responsibility to far wider group of people within the business uh, who can support and be part of the, the, the defense and response. And very much, I, I, and that for me helps sort of, uh, if you like, reduce the sort of stress levels. I mean, you still get stressed. CISOs are naturally stressed anyway. Yeah. It comes, comes with the territory. No stressed right now. <laughs> you know, but if you know you've got a lot of people that have got your back, um, it, it, it makes life a bit easier. I would agree on that. I think that's one of the things that I know that some CISOs, they've been actually considering leaving the field. They don't feel like anyone has their back. They feel like they're very isolated and alone and no one's listening to them. And then they have to take on so much risks without any protection for themselves. And that that concerns me if we're going to a future where cybersecurity is going to be having a bigger and bigger role ahead of times. Um, what are we doing to ensure that our leaders are feeling welcomed and belonged um, so they can be successful in protecting the company, but also their team is going to be running uh, healthy um, because their CISO is also running healthy. I've, yeah, that's a business problem. You know, if the CISOs feel like they're on their own trying to protect and they don't have the support, that that's a business problem. Then that that that's a problem with the leadership team of the business or business culture. And, you know, either that, business culture has to change or yeah you're absolutely right the CISO find a job where they have the support of the business um, and 
you know, uh, the business, the business as a whole, not just the leadership team, the business as a whole. Um, but you're absolutely right, and and you know, uh, I've got peers in my in my you know uh, social network uh, at my level who I know are struggling because they're expecting to work miracles on a very tight budget uh, under a leadership that really don't seem to be engaged or um, understand the risks that they're sitting with. Um, and, you know, I think things are changing. I think things are going to get better because when you look at the news, I mean, it's day in, day out, you're seeing compromises. You look at all this, uh, the, uh, the move IT or move it. Yeah. Compromise recently. That that woke a few people up. Definitely. Yeah, because it, it is interesting because I remember um, – at the beginning of the pandemic and like right before the pandemic, if you went to like a networking event with CISOs, the amount of drinks that were being poured was something of concern because it was stress. It's stress. Like there's been so many research around it since like 2019 showcasing like uh, CISOs, they were drinking heavily to help reduce the stress that they haven't been able to have time with their family nor their friends. And it was a drive for them to either leave the industry or to try to whatever they can to change the industry to include them and to also to ensure that the industry is working with the companies of what is it to be a safe environment for people that are, you know, CISOs, because we need them. We need them more than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And I think, um, it does vary from, from industry to industry as well. Um, when I was working in the construction industry, a gigantic global construction company, um, from a cybersecurity perspective, I did describe it as a bit like the Wild West. Um, you know, uh, and I'd say that's got, and they actually had, ended up having, they had a big ransomware attack. Um, but, you know, a 150-year-old construction company, you know, uh, they build stuff. You know, cybersecurity is one of those things that that's something to do with those computers. Um, so, you know, and unfortunately, that particular company were very, very responsive. The leadership team were really, really good. So, you know, we, we got there with that. And actually, uh, the constructing industry as a whole is actually picking things up really, really quickly and really fast. But I think it does depend on um, uh, on the industry you're in and and your your risk profile. You know, some companies you know, are going to have a much higher uh, propensity for attack than others. Um, finance is often, you know, uh, the, you know a typical classical case. Um, so, you know, I think there are a few companies that um, I probably wouldn't want to be a CISO for because I think the stress level would just be too much. <laughs> so, but then you've got you've got different types of CISOs, and some people thrive on that. You know, you know that you know that you, you've got your transformation CISO, you've got your post-breach CISO, you've got your steady state CISO. Um, you know, I would, you know, your post-breach CISO is the one that's going to be the, you know, the stressful out of those three, I think. Um, so depending on the state of the company, the reason the CISO has been bought in also has an impact on the stress levels. But, you know, some people thrive in that space. Yeah, I know. It's true. It's more of, oh, I feel relaxed and calm when in the middle of a storm versus if there was no storm, I'm going to feel anxious and not be on my toes or something kind of thing. I have heard about <laughs> this. Um, 
Yeah, we all have wild backgrounds, I think, in so many ways. That's why we're in InfoSec. Um, so when we're talking about compliance and everything, and, and especially with CISOs, and ensuring that you know the team is doing well and everything's up to date, have you noticed too much of compliance really focusing on security team wellness? Um, do you know that's that's a bit that's a really interesting question, and I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that um, I've seen anything that would suggest that that cyber team wellness is particularly high on the agenda. Um, I've been very, um, w- within the teams I've worked with, um, I've always been sort of very concerned and, and with my team, uh, their well-being. And um, I often say, you know, with the team, like the team I'm with at the moment, you know, okay, I'm the CISO, but I'm a member of the team. And the only difference between them and me is that I'm the one that gets into trouble if we screw it up. Um, and, you know, work with them and, and be mindful. And for a CISO, you know, the, the, the key thing is to gain trust, gain the trust of your team. Um, I've, I'm very frustrated with autocratic CISOs. I know one or two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the CISO and you're whatever. You'll you listen to me and what I tell you. What yeah, to do. I, yeah. You do as you're told. Um, in fact, you know, uh, there's a few that come to mind. That, that's that's way out of how I work. And you know, you're not going to have team well-being in that sort of autocratic environment. But where you have an environment where you are a team and the CISO is just another member of the team, um, and you look out for each other. You 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 be mindful of, of their of their circumstances and uh, their mental health. It's a big thing, big thing in our world. Um, uh, and look after them, and, and eventually, you know, you, you gain their trust. They'll look after you. Um, I often say to my team, you know, that one of their primary objectives within my team is to keep me out of trouble. Um, so. Uh, no, that's really it's mutual <laughs> respect. It goes both ways. You do well, I'll do well. We're all exactly. going to cover each other. That's good teamwork. Well, I, uh, I, I think mental health is a big issue uh, in these cyber teams because it's you're on the edge all the time. You, you can never relax. So when we talk about stress, and I think stress and, and mental health are, you know, opposite sides of the same coin. Um, and you know, you have to be very mindful. Uh, of of the different people that you've got within your team, and and you know, I know there's some um, uh, particularly the, there's a lot of interest in, in neurodiversity at the moment, uh, and the, the benefits that neurodiverse people can bring to the cyber world, the the the, ana- the way they think, the way their mind works, the sort of some analytical natures and things like that, um, could be really powerful tool for cyber analysts. But also, you need to be very mindful of. Uh, that, that neurodiverse people are different uh, and you need to consider that um, not just for their own well-being but also the well-being of the rest of the team when you've got you know uh, a very diverse yeah. set of people working together and of course you know that, that a good CISO can understand that and work it so that you have a cohesive team of very different people that aren't burning out on stress or you know, at each other's throats or what have you, and and work as a cohesive team. And so, and that, that's quite a challenge, actually. 
Yeah, it, it is one of those things like to create a belonging workplace is to allow people to have the ability to think the way that they think and to utilize that in a sense. Like if someone has like ADHD, for example, they may need structure, but they also need to be able to go out of their box. If you condense them too much, they're not going to feel able to explore and let their brain do the wonders that it has. Yeah. And and it's different for someone who's like neurotypical, for example, where, you know, maybe they don't need as much structure. They just want to, you know, get through their task in a certain way and having to learn how each person operates and, and how their brain works and takes in knowledge and then like learns and connects. It's so fascinating, but to create a welcoming environment where you have such diverse minds in the room, because that collaboration, if you are a great CISO, you're able to really bring that teamwork in a place where you have what would be the example of diversity, which is you're going to find something that someone else didn't find. You're going to patch things differently, faster possibly, but it's the fact that you have all these wonderful people being able to be like, hey, I see this. This is what I see. And then having other people acknowledge that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, because you need, you know, and sometimes that, uh, that's because in our cyber world, you need people to think differently sometimes um, because, you know, things are changing so fast, unpredictable, um, new threat, uh, you know, threat vectors and things like that occurring all the time. Uh, it, it It does need a different way of, looking at things sometimes um and then yeah and i've been very lucky that that i've had you know the opportunity has um, very diverse and very wide-ranging people in my teams uh certainly over the last number of years or so um and again it's i've 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 gone about it where i know what i need from a team now i just need to find the right people um, and so, you know, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, um, I, I don't, you know, subscribe to the sort of um, uh, that, you know, you've got to have X number of women or X number of, you know, like, I just want the right people. Um, if they happen to be whatever, fine, whatever. I'm not fast. I just, I know, I know what I need to do these roles. Um, and I've been very lucky that purely, I mean, uh, when I was at uh, the construction firm, actually, um, I had a quite a big team, and they were very diverse. But it wasn't because I chose them to be that way; it's because I I, I was after particular roles, and the and it showed that you know you can build, uh, you know, diversity into the team without actually looking for it. Yeah, I think I think we all have some sort of difference for every you know in every single room, which is fantastic. Sometimes the diverse is the things that aren't apparent to the eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Um, uh, as well, it's, you know, it's an interesting journey. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the compliance journey is just going to keep on going <laughs> different routes. And let's hope that it gets a little bit faster for AI and ML security purposes. Because I don't know about you, but that keeps me up at night now, officially. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, it's a... Uh, I, I, you know, I'm trying to think what keeps me up. What do you think? What you say that? What keeps me up awake at night? 
I always find John, the biggest risk, and I, I wonder if many other CISOs find this, our biggest risk is you don't know what you don't know. And that's what keeps me awake at night. I always worry, what is it I don't know? The what ifs just start playing in your head. But yeah. yeah. And but to be able to acknowledge that, I think is is a good positive thing. If we don't acknowledge that, you know, we don't know everything, I think that's a problem right there. Because I feel like those are those tend to be like people that are very stuck and they won't be able to understand other people, won't be able to manage people in a way where it's empowering instead it's disempowers. So I think having that curiosity, the what ifs and the things that keep you up at night also shows that you're probably a good leader. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> You'd have to ask my team that. I'm not, I'm not sure this. It dep depends what frame of mind you get. I mean, depend, we'll, we'll, we'll dictate what answer you get. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ian, it was lovely to have you on here. I'll have to get you back on soon. You. Um, and everyone, I'll see you on the next episode. And until then, stay safe and have fun. Thank you again, Ian. Thank you, have a Thank you very much, Chloe. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>